0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today we're here to celebrate the birth of a very special baby, a priceless gift given to humanity, a promise made during the first days of creation and kept in the fullness of time to work salvation where there had only been condemnation according to the law. So what can you say about such an event? I mean, it was, outwardly speaking, an ordinary birth occurring in a lowly backwater of the mighty Roman Empire where it was witnessed by only a few farm animals, some ragamuffin shepherds, and, oh, by the way, the entire heavenly host, they all showed up. An event seemingly so unimportant in a worldly sense, but so shatteringly vital in the heavenly realm that it attracted the attention of God's holy angels, who reacted with a glorious display of adoration and praise such as no earthly ruler has ever experienced. We are reminded of this in the opening phrases of the book of Hebrews, where it describes the ultimate act of our Savior, while hearkening back to his humble beginnings, where it says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. See so, you now, in reading that section of Hebrews, there's a word that just leapt out at me. And it reminded me of a theme that runs throughout the whole of Scripture. See, the Lord repeatedly announces to his people just why he does this or that thing. And the one thing you all need to understand, it isn't always for us, okay? Now, the benefit of God's actions often come to us and Boy, are we grateful for it. But making benefit for us is almost never the reason he does much of anything, except one special uh, difference, bringing a Christ child into our lives. That really was for us. But God's reason is usually all tied up with the mystery about his name. So what's in a name? Well, a name can be a source of identification, you know, like the, hi, my name is Bob tag, you know, something to differentiate me from the Bryans and the Carls of this world so that we all knew who mom was yelling at, okay? A name can also refer to one's reputation, how others view you, and that's where God places the emphasis regarding his name. In the Bible, a great deal of importance is given to one's name, because especially in Hebrew, the name a person is given often says something about the character of or of the circumstances surrounding the recipient. For example, the name of Isaac's son Jacob roughly mean, means heel catcher or usurper. He was given that name because as even as his twin brother Esau was being born, slightly before he was, Esau's infant heel was being firmly held in Jacob's hand. And that theme of grasping for what wasn't his would follow Jacob all of his life. Jacob would grow up to usurp Esau's birthright as the eldest son through deceit and trickery as he conspired with his mother, to fool a now-elderly Isaac into believing that Jacob was, in fact, Esau, and thus receiving an ill-gotten, non-transferable blessing that wasn't meant for him. Now, one of the most poignant names ever given highlights the heartbreak behind the name Ichabod. Ichabod. It's a transliteration of the Hebrew word Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. And if you remember that story, the Israelites were feeling rather full of themselves when they had mostly conquered the promised land. And despite warnings from God to the contrary, they thought that it'd be a great thing to put the Ark of the Covenant into battle because it would be a talisman for them making a guarantee of success for any battle. And so with the high priest's blessing, they marched that ark, front and center, into conflict in an attempt to finally rout those pesky Philistines. And of course, the ark was seized by the Philistines after a loss of 35,000 Israeli soldiers, including the high priest Eli's sons. And when Eli hears of this, he collapses and dies on the spot. So you've got this, he has a wife, very pregnant. And now she's lost her children, and she gives birth to another son, and in her grief she gives him that awful name, the glory has departed. Because the glory had indeed departed Israel at such a terrible price. Now another interesting name that's even more to the point of my sermon today is Joshua, or Yeshua, as it is in the Hebrew. And we first find this name given to Moses' chief military commander, the one who would be tasked with taking the new nation of Israel into the promised land. Now, Jacob was so famous, he even merited his own book in the Bible because of that fact. And his name means the Lord saves, or the Lord is salvation. Salvation. And it's a compound of the personal name of God, the name he chose for self-revelation, the YHWH that's known as the Tetragrammaton, which they never wanted to speak out loud, and so they sort of fudged it and transliterated it into Yahweh or Jehovah, as we see in most of our newer translations. And it's combined with a word, Yasha, which meant to be made free or saved. You know, it's not readily obvious from a casual reading of Scripture, but when Joshua or Yeshua gets transliterated from the Hebrew into the Greek, it becomes Jesus. Now, there is a name. His name is powerful for salvation as John has it, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There are those who claim that Jesus never referred to himself as God, they are mistaken. First of all, whenever you find yourself reading through the Gospels, watch for whenever the crowds take up stones to stone Jesus. It happens quite a lot. But every time that it happens, it's because Jesus had said something that elevated him to the equivalent of God the Father. He, he says such unclear things as, I and the Father are one doesn't really say much, does it? Or truly, truly, I say to you that before Abraham came to be, I am. You know, how could they miss that? Jesus repeatedly claims that name in the Gospel of John, where he says, I am, seven different times. He, he, he uses that same construction to uh, declare himself to be the bread of life, the light of Of the world, the door of the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and lastly, the true vine, the connection to life, right? This triple connection to life here is really telling us about Jesus' mission. He's come to bring life. In the events leading up to his life-giving sacrifice, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and as his captors close in, Jesus asks the guards who are seeking whom whom they are seeking, and, and, and when they respond with Jesus of Nazareth, one last time he announces, I am, with powerful results as they fall back under the power of his declaration. I am Course is the name by which God introduced himself to the people who would become the nation of Israel. When the Lord confronts Moses in the wilderness of Midian, telling him to go back to Egypt to bring the children of Israel out from under the oppression of Pharaoh, Moses asks in response, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. You see, that I am who I am, in Hebrew, Ehyeh. Asher, eh, is the ultimate claim of self-existence. The one thing that Yahweh had, that all of these other lowercase gods that all these other nations had, never did possess, existence. And ehyeh, yeah, I am, is the shorthand that the Lord uses to identify himself as in I am am the one who is. The important part of this whole name thing, that what it has for us, is that we as believers have been adopted into the Lord's family, connected to that great I am, the one who is intimately involved in every aspect of our lives. Through that adoption, we have an eternal Inheritance of grace and hope and peace backed by that name that everything was accomplished by and for. We are reminded in Second Samuel for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. And Isaiah tells us when God wants his people to learn and grow through adversity, he still spares them the worst of possible punishment. He says this For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver, I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how shall my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. And even when his people have sorely disappointed him, and that tends to happen, doesn't it? The Lord still finds grace for them, as we find in Ezekiel, where it says, And you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. John summarizes the outworking of that great gift we are given at the first Christmas, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, here's where that idea of adoption bears fruit for us. We are given the right to become children of God. Now, this is nothing that we earn or deserve, but a gift that God bestows upon us, in part because he has become one of us while at the same time being the one who created and sustains us. Jesus came to participate in our humanity as one of us because it was the only way that he could take on our sins and become our savior. He came as a helpless infant, facing life just as we all did, being dependent upon others for our every need. This image is a big part of what Jesus meant when he told his disciples that they needed to come as little children into the kingdom of heaven. See, we have no ability to force our way into God's grace. It is a free gift that we can neither earn nor deserve. We are utterly dependent on the Lord for every single bit of it. God has a name. He will not share his glory with another, but Jesus, the God-man, is ultimately honored by his Father. Paul tells us this in Philippians, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, it really is all about the name. Jesus, the Lord, saves. Thanks be to God. And Merry Christmas. Amen.